be here. <laughs> it's a good thing we record these things, right? We'll have a lot of people, I'm sure, pick up this CD. This series has been awesome, um, and as I said in the previous weeks, it's been exciting to go back through this series again, and, and the word that we've been going through on renewing our minds and getting our minds in alignment um, has been good. Amen? Amen? So... Uh, I'm going to get right into it. I know, you know, we got a holiday tomorrow and we've probably got family in town and um, I appreciate you guys coming out. So we'll get right into this and, um, you know, we'll get out of here pretty quick. But uh, we've been talking about our minds and we've been talking about renewing our minds and we have established a few things. First of all, we established that our minds, it's important to renew our minds because at the point of salvation, when we come into the kingdom of God, our minds are still focused and still uh, in a mentality of the world. Um, it, it still wants to think upon and do and have a will that is in line with our flesh. And so we've identified that we are constantly at war and constantly uh, in a battle within our minds between the spirit realm and our flesh. And these two things are at war all the time for eternity. There's no point in our lives where we become so mature, we gain so much of the word, that we're never having to put down the flesh and never having to realign our thinking. So our minds have to be renewed. And we saw that our minds need to be renewed to the word of God. Um, the word is what gets our mind in line with our new person, our new creation that we are. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, old things have been passed away, behold, all things have become new. Well, all things have become new for our spirit. And our spirit man is clued in on everything that the kingdom wants. It's clued in on God's desires. It's clued, on, it's clued in on God's will. It's clued in on your purpose in the earth. But the problem is, is we still have this flesh realm that wants to live according to the world, that wants to do its own thing, that wants to lend itself to being obedient to the enemy rather than God. So we have to get this mind lined up with God's purposes and God's desires, God's will for our lives. Um, and this is in our minds. This is where it first takes place. Remember we said that if we want to go anywhere in life, we have to first get our minds there. Um, if we're not thinking a certain way, we're not going to live a certain way. And if you want to think, uh, if you want to live like the kingdom, then you have to think like the kingdom. So we need to find out what God's word says about our new person, our new desires, our new will, our new purpose in life. And so this is what we're renewing our minds to. We saw that mind renewal was a process. Um, that's not a overnight thing. There's not an instance we can go back and say, hey, that's the day that I renewed my mind. At the point of salvation, your spirit's automatically changed, made brand new. But this mind uh, renewal is a process. And we said it's not an event, but there's a growth and there's a development and there's a taking on there um, that's, you know, through our lifetime. Um, the last few weeks, we've really been hammering home three specific areas that I think are very important um, in mind renewal. And three specific areas that if we can renew our minds to these areas in our life, uh, we'll find ourselves lined up back with God's original purpose and God's original intent. The first one that we saw was the mindset of authority or the mindset of rulership. And we saw that God placed man in the earth with authority in a kingdom, um, not only as his citizen, but to rule and reign with dominion and authority in the earth. And things in the earth um, should be in our control. Um, we shouldn't be just, you know, lining our finances up with the world, and we shouldn't be lining our health up with the world, and we shouldn't be lining, um, you know, our marriages or our home life with what the world dictates because there was original intent that God had for mankind, and we need to find out what that was. And we're supposed to be ruling and reigning in life. Um, the second area that we saw was the mindset of responsibility. And what are we supposed to be taking care of? What are we supposed to have our minds set on? What are we supposed to be throughout our daily lives, daily tasks and assignments that we carry out? Are we kingdom first? Are we kingdom minded in those things? We saw that Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, um, they were only focused on one thing, and that was God's uh, will, God's purpose. 
uh, tend and cultivate the garden. That was one of his commands. Uh, be fruitful and multiply, one of his commands. And until sin came into the world, they were focused on nothing else but getting God's will done in the earth and making the earth look like heaven, bringing heaven's will down to the earth. Um, there was no other uh, mindset. There was no other thought process going on except for what does God want done in the earth. And then when sin entered, man obviously gave up his right to the kingdom and gave up his authority in the kingdom because he couldn't remain in submission to the ultimate authority, to God as king any longer. Um, And he turned over that authority to the enemy and immediately began looking at how to take care of myself. The Bible says that Adam and Eve, when sin came in, their eyes were opened and they saw their nakedness. And they immediately said, how do I get clothes? What am I going to do? Um, so from there on, man was concerned about himself. Uh, how do I take care of my house? Where do I get food? Where do I get money? What am I going to drink? All these things crept into man's world, into man's mind. Um, and that's why Jesus came on in Matthew chapter 6 and said, look, the, the Gentiles, uh, the religious leaders, all these people are seeking after what are they going to wear, what are they going to eat, uh, where are they going to live, uh, how are they going to make money? All these things they're seeking after with all their time, with all their resource, trying to raise themselves to a new level. And Jesus said, but look, if you just seek first my kingdom, if you just seek first being right in my governing authority and in the, the government system that I have placed you in, um, all these things will be added. Why? Because Adam and Eve had those things added. Uh, they weren't worried about what to eat. They weren't worried about what to drink. Uh, They could eat from any tree of the garden. They had rivers flowing through this thing that they could drink from. um, And God supplied where they were going to live. God supplied uh, everything that they needed. There was nothing that Adam and Eve were sitting around saying, man, I really need to get this or I really want this or I want to. There was none of that. Uh, There were no wants and desires that man had that God didn't already supply. So that's where our responsibility came in. And then the third one that we looked at last week was our mindset of relationship. And we saw that when man sinned, uh, he immediately lost his position, uh, not only in God's kingdom, but in God's family. Because Adam and Eve have a very tight relationship. They were very close with God. The word said that he came down and walked with them and talked with them, and they knew his presence. They knew when he was there. And all of a sudden, when sin, when sin came into their lives, they were cut off immediately. And the rest of mankind was in this position to where God is having to set up alternatives to get his presence to mankind and get his information. And we saw that one of the first things that goes when you lose a relationship with someone or a relationship becomes strained, first thing that goes is communication. And communication was vital for Adam and Eve. Because without communication, they have no clue what God wants done in the earth. So for man to take care of the earth the way God wants it taken care of, communication had to take place. A process of uh, information, a flow of information had to come down from heaven to man. And man uh, was no longer righteous, was no longer in a position to hear from God clearly. So communication is key. The other thing that we saw that was lost was trust. Man, uh, God lost trust with mankind and couldn't put man in a position. In fact, God even got to a point in Genesis chapter 6 where he said that he regretted that he even put man on the earth. Why? Because I have a will that I want to get done. It wasn't that he regretted creating man. It was he regretted that I, I I need another way to get information to my people. And what was he looking for? He was looking for a righteous man. He was looking for someone that was obedient. And in Genesis chapter 6, he picked out Noah. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, he picks out uh, Abraham. You go on down, he he finds uh, Joseph. He finds Moses. He's looking for people that will simply be obedient to his word so that he can get his will done in the earth. And that's why the relationship was so important. Um, It's great to be in the family of God. It's great to have those rights and privileges and benefits, but the number one key thing is I need my relationship to be right with God so I can clearly communicate with him, hear from him, and that flow of information is not hindered. 
because that's the only way I can get his will done in the earth. Uh, so when we're not in a right relationship or when we have sin in our lives, uh, you know, you're not obedient. You're not clearly hearing from God. You find yourself making stupid decisions and, and doing things that you know you shouldn't do. Uh, your, your lifestyle becomes disobedient following after um, what you want to do because you're, you don't have the communication because the relationship is strained. And then the trust thing comes. And you know that the relationship's strained, the relationship's been tightened, and uh, now all of a sudden you have a problem going to your king, going to God. I mean, we know in our own personal relationships with our kids, with our spouses, I mean, when the relationship's strained, you have a hard time going and just talking to them. I mean, you find yourselves opposite ends of the house, uh, ignoring people's phone calls. Uh, you know, this is what happens when relationships become strained and tightened. Communication goes out the window. So that's why we have to get our relationship back in line. Um, this week, we're kind of we're closing this up. I've got two more weeks outlined um, that we're going to hit on. And so we're kind of uh, we're coming off of those three things, uh, what we need to be renewing our minds to. And now we're going to start looking at positioning ourselves to not allow our minds to fall back. Uh, we've looked at the importance of renewing our mind. We've looked at how to renew our mind, and we've looked at what to renew our mind to. But we need to see, and we're going to see in God's word tonight, that we have to guard our minds because there is something that is always trying to attack our minds or always trying to bring itself into our minds. The first thing I have to get you to understand is that the enemy has no place in your life if he has no place in your thoughts. The thoughts is the first place and the only place that he has access to. Um, you know, you hear a lot of people say, you know, Satan's been attacking me. You know, he's trying to put this sickness on me. Um, you know, he's really attacking me in my finances. I just can't seem to, to get out of this issue with poverty and, and the way that our money's going and all these type of things. Um, but I have to submit to you this, that if the enemy can't get you off track in your mind, then he, can't, he has no access to those areas. Um, that might be something new for people that hear that. But bottom line is, is how we think is how we live. The Bible says that uh, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So our lifestyle is strictly governed by how you think, which means that if you keep the enemy out of your mind and out of your thought process, then you have full availability to live according to the kingdom and according to God's word. So we have to find out what those hindrances are. What are areas that the enemy tries to attack us in our minds to get us off of God's word? And we're going to look at three key areas, but let me... Set this up real quick. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to start with verse 6. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. It's a good night to be talking about that. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Now, this verse right here, this last one we just read in verse 7, says that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. Something very key, very simple to understand. You don't guard something that doesn't have the potential to be attacked. Okay? So if you're guarding your mind, then there must be something that's attacking your mind or trying to come against your mind, trying to come into your mind. This word guard um, is a word in the Greek that's actually translated from a military term. This is actually a military term, um, meaning to set guard in advance. So this is, we don't wait for the thought to come in and start taking root in our mind and then try to attack it there. 
Um, I actually just heard someone recently kind of ministering on this. It just kind of worked out the timing of it. Um, and he made this statement. He said that when you guard a city, uh, you don't guard it at the city. You guard it at the gate. Because if the enemy gets to the gate or gets to the city, then he's already won. He's already there. Um, we have to guard our mind at the gate. And what is the gate of our mind? I'm not going to get in this too deep, but very simply the word shows us that the gate to our mind is simply our eyes, our ears, and our mouth. Those are the three gates. And if we can guard those areas in our lives, uh, then we are not going to have any intrusion. We're not going to have any hindrance. We're not going to have anything coming in and occupying your mind. You've got to understand, uh, probably the best way to explain this is that your mind is territory. Uh, just think of your mind as an open field. And there are certain things that you don't want to let in that field. Um, that field can be sown in. Things can be sown in that field. And I'll tell you, there's probably things, there are things, that are past or the way we grew up or the way we were raised or things that we were around as we grew up that were sown into our minds. Um, and you just simply have to go through and you have to pluck that stuff out. But your mind is territory and it can be occupied. And the key that we're trying to get to is occupying your mind with the word and allowing the word in. Um, the only way that you can keep something out of your mind is by keeping it occupied with something else. A mind that is unoccupied, that is not fastened to the word or uh, is not renewed to God's word, um, is unoccupied territory, which allows the enemy full access. And just because you maybe think that you're not allowing yourself um, or allowing other things to have access to your mind, maybe the media, uh, family, coworkers, uh, just sitting around having random thoughts, it, it, even if you think that these things, you're not really giving yourself to them, if you're not filling your mind with the word, that's, that's open game. That's free, free territory, free game right there for the enemy to come in and just play around. And that's where he wages war. He can't wage war in your spirit. It's already given to God. Your flesh is already in the world and is already sided with that. But again, if you get your mind under control, then you'll find your flesh lining up. You'll find your flesh crucified. You'll find your flesh dead and not rising up against your spirit. But... If we have a mind that is unoccupied, that's open territory. That's just a land wide open that the enemy can come in and he can just throw all kind of seed in there. So we have to be careful what we plant. And these things get planted through our eyes, through our ears, uh, and through our mouth. Simply, it's planted through what we see. Simply, it's uh, planted through what we hear and through what we're speaking. And so these are the three areas in our lives that we have to govern and we have to guard. And that's where you guard your mind. You don't guard your mind at your thoughts because if you're already thinking it, then the access has already come in. So what do we do? We have to remove the things that allow those thoughts to even take place, to even come in. Okay? And that's where you control that, by what you're seeing, by what you're hearing, and by what you're speaking. Um, so let's look at this. We saw that... Uh, we are a three-part being. We're spirit, we're soul, and a body. We are a spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in a body. And the soul realm, remember, is our mind, our will, and our emotions. The soul is where your mind um, is at in your life. And so that's what you think. Uh, your will is what you want to do, and your emotions is how you feel. And our lives are not to be governed by any of that. Not to be governed by, uh, you know, how we think, according to the flesh. It's not to be governed by our will, what, what we feel like doing. And it's not to be governed by uh, how we feel, 
you know, our, our emotions. Well, I don't, I don't feel like going to church. Or I don't feel healed. Or I don't feel prosperous. Or I don't feel like loving my spouse. Uh, we're not supposed to be led by those things. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit only. But your soul realm can line up. Can line up with either the flesh or can line up with either your spirit. So, that makes your soul realm a battlefield. Remember we said from the beginning that there is a war going on. Your mind becomes that battlefield. And it's your spirit versus your flesh. And here's the goal. Here's the goal. Strengthen the spirit and starve the flesh. That's the goal. Strengthen the spirit, starve the flesh. In any war, in any battle, the one that is stronger wins. So what are we trying to do? We're trying to strengthen our spirit, man, and we're trying to weaken our flesh. And what do you do when you weaken it? You take away its ability to have any influence. You're quieting the voice. You're uh, lowering its ability to control actions and to control reactions and control responses. That's what you're doing. You're lowering its ability to do these things. And it comes by strengthening our spirit. In, in life, we're always doing one or the other. You're either, no matter what you're doing, you're either strengthening your spirit or you're strengthening your flesh. And we have to make sure that we're strengthening our spirit. That's the only way that our minds are going to come under alignment. Okay? Now, there are three main areas that the enemy attacks in your mind. There are three main ways, three, three main thought processes that he tries to bring to get your mind off of the word of God. The first one is doubt. The first one is doubt. Doubt takes place in your mind. Doubt takes place in your mind. Let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 3. Doubt takes place in your thought process and in your mind. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. We know this is the passage where sin enters the world. Um, And we're going to start with verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning, more tricky, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. What's he doing? Bringing doubt. If he can get you to second guess God's command, if he can get you to second guess God's way of doing things, then he gets access. Because doubt to God's word requires you or leads you to disobey God's word. That's what doubt brings. Doubt brings disobedience. He said, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, It was pleasant to the eyes. There's that eye gate. And a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So this is where sin enters. You see that she opened up her ear gate, and she opened up her eye gate. I'm going to tell you right now that in life, we have got to narrow down the voices that have access to our minds. We have to be careful what we lend our ears to. Um, And this goes for anything. Uh, The number one thing that we need to go ahead and lay out in our lives is that if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, if the Word of God cannot back up what what is being said or happening, then it gets thrown out. Um, This is where confusion comes in. The Bible says that the enemy is the author of confusion. Confusion comes when you 
leave when you have too many voices in your life. That's where confusion comes in and starts running its course and taking place. Um, You can't be confused about something if you only know one way to do it. Okay? Um, You know, if, if my dad is teaching me to learn to drive a car, and he shows me what all the different things do, that's how I'm going to learn to drive a car. Confusion will set in when someone else tries to come in and starts trying to tell me how to drive a car. And now I'm confused. I'm, well, I thought this was supposed to be you. I thought you were supposed to do this. Or I thought you were supposed to stop here. Or I thought you were supposed to. That's where it gets confusing. I mean, for me particularly, I've never really learned how to drive a stick. And I've probably had three or four people show me. And they all show me differently. They're all showing me based on their personal experiences. Man, well, you, man you, don't, you don't have to do that. Just just hit on this and you can shift this thing into, uh, forget it. Because now I'm replaying three other different ways I was told to do this on top of, whereas, you know, if I had just stuck with the person that showed me the first time, I, I might have figured it out and might have gotten it down. Okay, so confusion sets in when I lend myself to more voices. Well, we see this in our own lives. And people want to use their own experiences. People want to start. I mean, you know, God's word says that he is a loving God and he does not test us and tempt us with sickness and trying to teach us something or trying to draw something out of us. Okay, but then grandma comes in. And the scenario with your grandma comes in and, you know, she was a loving woman and she died. And why did, why, did, why did she die? What happened to her? And then the preacher wants to tell us, you know, God just needed another angel in his choir. So God took her home? Yeah, you know, God, God decided it was her time and it was, it was over and it was time for her to go home. Well, what just set in? Confusion. Doubt to God's word. Why? Because you opened your eye gate, you opened your ear gate to something that was contrary where what we need to do is we need to quickly establish that's not what my Bible says. And you run from there. And if it doesn't line up, then you shut it down. And we don't continue to lend our ear to that. Because the more and more you play it, now the more and more susceptible you are to coming off of God's Word, even though you know God's Word is truth, coming off of that and you're saying, yeah, but my grandma... You know, I mean, she she loved God. But you don't know. She may have been ready to go home. She may have laid it down and said, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we don't know. So we have to go to the Word. And nothing changes us from the Word. No personal relationship, uh, no pastor, no, no matter how spiritual someone seems to be, uh, we have to be very careful how many ears or how many things have our ear. Or how many things we place in front of our eyes. I'm very careful in that arena. Um, you know, I don't just jump on a boat with a minister or, you know, someone that's preaching just because someone I know does. Uh, I prove them out for myself. Um, and, and still, I, I keep a very small circle. A very limited amount of people uh, that have a voice into my life. Why? Because you get too much out there. And confusion starts to set in. And they start bringing up things and start teaching things. Um, that's just, you know, I'll tell you one area in my life specifically, um, with just recently coming on and pastoring this church, um, there are a lot of churches out there that are doing all kinds of different stuff. And um, I had to learn very quickly that I needed, that I'm not going and chasing around and seeing what di- different people are doing and what different churches are doing Um, because what happens is and I started to do this I started getting excited about pastoring a church and start looking at what different people are doing I want to get to that level I want to do that and that looks really cool and but then I quickly had to find out that not everybody has a right motive Um, some people are just simply about bring putting on a show so maybe what they're doing is with the motive of entertaining people. Or maybe somebody 
does their service this way because they don't really want to make time for the word because they're afraid or scared to really hit on a lot of topics. So they just keep it real broad and real general. Well, you know, I mean, most preachers in America, you know, they're, they're preaching about 30 minutes. So maybe, you know, you should do that. You know? And again, you're just looking around, you're seeking around. It's like, okay, but in that 30 minutes, are they really getting to the word? You know, a lot of a lot of pastors, they use a lot of illustrations. And they show videos. Okay, but now are they basing their message on the video, or are they basing the message on the word and allowing the video to enhance the word? Well, I know some pastors, you know, they give a lot of illustrations, and, you know, they'll, they'll start their service off with some funny emails and tell some jokes. So, you know, you, you should probably, you just got to be careful. Um, and, and I don't go doing that a whole lot. Uh, there's not a whole lot of churches that I go to for feedback. What I want to know is what is your motive? Why are you in your city? Why do you have this church? Is it to get people in your seats or is it to get people in the kingdom? And we have to, you know, have these mindsets that I'm not just opening myself up to, you know, a whole wave of influences because they will influence me. Um, you, I just, you have to keep yourself closed up there. Um, and, you know, there's about four people in my life that have a direct, well, really three, four. There's four. I had to think for a minute there. There's four specific people that on a regular basis have a voice into my life that I draw from, that I grow from. Because as a pastor, I have to grow. I can't, I can't just say, well, I, I preach at church, so I don't have to go and listen to anything. I have to be in the Word for myself, for one. Uh, but there are people that I have around my life that speak into my life and that I grow from, and, and that's where I get my nutrients, and that's how I grow in the Word. Um, but I'm very careful. I, I keep that circle of influence very small. And so you have to be careful with that. Um, our coworkers, family members, um, you know, other people in our church, uh, other ministers, people on TV, people on the radio, uh, music, uh, you know, any type of media or entertainment, Facebook. Uh, you know, we have to keep our circle of influence tight. Because the more people that have access to your ear, they have access to your thought life, and then confusion sets in. That's what happened with Eve. It was very easy for Adam and Eve to do what God wanted them to do until another voice came in. Very simple. If I only know one person to obey, then I obey them. You know, you see this sometimes with kids. They'll be, uh, you know, say they'll be at school, and now they got their teacher and they have a parent. Two people that have influence and voices in their life, and they're being told to do something. You ever seen that? You know, you send your kid down the hallway to go to the bathroom, and then someone else that has a, you know, influence or a voice in their life says, hey, you can't go down there. Well, what, what does the kid do? They stop it. But my, my mom said that. Or they, they're confused. There's two voices of influence now that are controlling their thought life and having access to their thought life, and so now they're finding themselves between two different things. But if we are careful to allow the Word to have the ultimate access and allow the Word to be the only source of flow and take everything back to the Word, no confusion can come in. The enemy wants confusion because if there's confusion, you cannot follow God's will. Okay? Uh, we saw this in Matthew chapter 4. We'll turn over there real quick. Matthew chapter 4. It's interesting to me, as tricky and cunning as the word says the enemy is. In Matthew chapter 4, we see an instance where Jesus is in a wilderness for 40 days being tempted of the devil. And we're talking year, thousands of years later. I mean, Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, that's old news. This has happened. And we've had thousands of years go by. I think approximately about 4,000 years and Jesus shows up. And the devil does to Jesus the same exact thing he tried to do to Adam and Eve. 
Same exact thing. What does he do? Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, this is Jesus, he was just led into the wilderness, came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him upon an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. What does the enemy try to do? He's trying to bring doubt to God's word. And Jesus starts off and he says, Man shall live only by the word. No other bread, no other daily bread is there, but the word is your daily bread. What's he saying? Confusion can't set in if you make it a point to only be led by God. And be led by his word. He's saying right there. Start deducting voices in your life. Start shutting out other influences. Other things that try to move you off of God's word. And then the enemy ends up bringing actual scripture. The enemy actually starts coming to him and bringing the word to him. And saying, but the word says this. And Jesus again goes back to the word. Himself. What's he doing? He's always taking everything back to the Word. There are people that, even if they don't know it, they're in your life to be an influence to get you off of God's purpose. And they might even come across as sympathetic or caring or, you know, wanting to, to be a part of your life and really caring about you. But if it doesn't line up with God's Word, then we have to go back to the Word and then we shut it out. Shut out that voice. And then eventually Jesus is able to send him away. Jesus was always able to line up with the word, go back to the word, and he made that the final authority in his life. There was no confusion for Jesus. Why? Because he didn't sit and meditate. Really? All the kingdoms? Hmm. That's not a bad deal. He didn't sit there and think about it. He didn't give thought to it. What did he do? He cast it down by bringing the word back to the enemy. Bringing the word back to the situation. The word has to be the final authority and we have to shut down the rest of the voices. So the first thing that the enemy tries to do uh, and try to attack you in your mind with is doubt. Bringing confusion. Bringing doubt to God's word. The second area, go back to Philippians chapter 4. The second area that he tries to get you is worry. Worry is the second area in our life that he tries to move you off of God's word. And this one, I would say, is probably one of the most most effective. Out of the three areas that I'm going to mention tonight, this one's probably the most effective. Um, doubt, you know, we're pretty, we're pretty strong in the word and we know when something's coming that's contrary to the word and we know to shut it down and, you know, we don't allow doubt. Um, and the third one is pretty common, you know, for most believers. It's not a huge issue. But this one here, worry, is probably the biggest one that the enemy uses. Um, and all that worry is, and we talked about it, Worry is having your mind in two different places. The key to having mind renewal and having a thought life set on God's word is that's the only thing that you set your mind to. That's the only thing you're thinking about. That's the only thing you're allowing to have access to your mind. 
But worry sets in because we are double-minded, as the Bible says. And worry is actually a distraction. It's actually something set up in our lives to get us to separate and come off of what God's Word says. Uh, look at this in, in Philippians chapter 4. Again, we just saw this earlier in verse 6. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. First off, he says, Be anxious for nothing. Anxiousness is simply worry. When you're anxious about something or you have high anxiety, you're worried. You're in a position of worry. You're in a position of thinking about yourself. And so our mind becomes distracted when this anxiousness comes in. But right here he says, be anxious for nothing. Worry about nothing. And that lines up with Matthew chapter 6. I mean, we saw in there, Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 25, that Jesus mentions uh, worry five times. Five times. When you're worried, your mind comes off of the truth and gets set on what you're worried about. And then your mind will, literally, your, your mind will run on you. I mean, we know this. You'll start playing out scenarios. You'll start... Thinking thoughts, and, and you'll you'll just it'll run the gamut on you, because we didn't we didn't suppress it and we didn't control it from the beginning. Um, in the King James version, when Jesus said "Do not worry," it actually says "Take no thought," meaning that worry requires us to take our mind off of one thing and set it on something else. So that's what worry is. But let's go on. It says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything." By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the key to getting rid of worry. Now, here's the key about that. It's the last thing you want to do. Bottom line, when you're worried about something, you're concerned about something, the last thing you want to do is being, I mean, it's not a thankful attitude. It's not an exciting praise glorifying moment for you when you get a report or you get something that's contrary to the word and is telling you about yourself uh you know we're worried about losing our job we're worried about not being able to pay our bills we're worried about this sickness we're worried about our kids we're worried about our marriage relationship i mean whatever it is when worry sets in that's not a time that we all feel like praising and thanking God for anything. But this verse right here tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Notice that you can't just sit there and stop at don't worry. How many times have we tried that? I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to be concerned with it. It's going to be okay. I'm not. No. We have to come off of being worried about something and in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So, this is kind of like a formula. It's kind of like a math problem. It's kind of like 2 plus 2 is 4. Prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, equals no worry. It says, let your request be made known to God. So, we're still making a request known. He's not even asking you to just not think about it. He's saying, give it to Him. And thank him for it. So whatever you're worried about, make the request known to God with prayer and supplication and be thankful. That's it. That's pretty simple. That's your little formula to coming out of worry and coming out of being concerned and, being, and, and, and coming out of anxiety and anxiousness. It says it right there. Now let's go on. Verse 7, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your heart. What's it doing? It's keeping those thoughts of worry 
from coming in. You're shutting it out. You're guarding your mind. So we have to come off of worry, come off of concern, and the way we do that is by praying with supplication, being thankful about it, and making our request known to God. That brings in peace. Peace is the opposite of worry. If you're at peace about something, you're not worried about it. And if you're worried about something, you're definitely not at peace. Very simple. So we want to trade the worry for the peace. And the peace will come in and it will guard your mind. It will keep your mind from being focused on what you're worried about. It will keep your mind from being focused on where the anxiety is coming from. Notice here that to get rid of the worry about a situation, you actually don't think about it at all. Sometimes we think that we can make the situation better by thinking about it and working up a way and how are we going to fix this, how are we going to get into it. And God's formula doesn't say that at all. So if we don't want to be worried about our finances, we don't need to sit down and think about, okay, how am I going to fix this? Because you know what will happen? Is God will actually show you how to fix it. He's going to bring the peace in, because you ain't thinking right when you're worried anyways. I mean, you become frantic. And now what are we doing? We're submitting ourselves, well, you know, I've got to get a loan. I, I'm going to have to get a loan. Man, I, I don't know. I, I hope there's a bank that can, that can get us this money. Uh, I'm going to have to go to a family member. And God's saying, I will wrap your mind in peace. I will put thoughts of worry at bay. And I will solve your situation. Tell me what the problem is. Be thankful about it. And I'll give you peace. Then while I'm giving you peace, and you're not being concerned with it, I'll fix it. And he'll show us how to get out of it. Every time. But when you're worried, then you try to take care of things on your own. You get a report, you know, from the doctor that something's wrong. And so now you're thinking, well, okay, well, you know, they said I need to do this procedure. Maybe I can do this or maybe I can take these pills. Maybe I could just, you know, take this and hope it'll go away. Or maybe these vitamins will help everything get better. And God's saying, I'm your healer. I need you to make the request known to me. I need you to be thankful about it. And then let peace come in. And take over your mind. But a lot of times we go with the other. And we get worried about it. We get concerned about it. And then try to fix it on our own. And this is what God is telling us not to do. Okay. Uh, Psalms 100. Uh, Psalms chapter 100. Verse 4. Shows us the power of praise. Shows us what happens. 100 verse 4. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. What is he saying? He's saying, enter in to God's presence. If you want to get in where God is, you have to enter with thanksgiving. So that tells me this. If I enter in with worry or doubt or concern, I'm never getting to where God is. So God can't fix my problem. If you want God to fix your problem, you've got to get to where he is. And it says to enter into his courts, enter into his gates, enter into where he is with thanksgiving and with praise. So you being thankful and you praising him actually brings him to your situation and now he can fix your problem. Okay, next one. Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22 verse 3. Psalm 22, verse 3 says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Enthroned. That is a position of authority. To be enthroned. So, to be enthroned in our praises means that now he is in control. He is in authority. He has the right to call the shots now. But he's enthroned in what? The praises. 
So if you want to get God to start working on your behalf, you have to start praising him. You have to start thanking him. And that's how you, basically, initially what you do, when you thank God and you praise him, you take it out of your hands and you put it in his. What does he say in Peter? He says, cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. That's what he's asking us to do. As long as you try to take care of it, you find yourself in a position of worry. But when we start thanking him and we start praising him, our mind comes off of worry, gets focused on him, and now he can take care of the problem. He can take care of the situation. He's enthroned. He rules and he reigns in our praises. As long as you're praising him, he has the opportunity to rule and reign over your situation. Okay? The last area I want to look at tonight, um, this is another area that the enemy tries to attack us in our minds, and it is condemnation. Condemnation. Uh, This will be found in Romans chapter 8. We'll look at Romans chapter 8 here. And the very very, very first verse that Paul mentions here, says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, most people stop there. Most people stop right there. But it doesn't stop right there. It goes on and it says, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. What have we been trying to renew our minds to do? To live out the Spirit and not live out the flesh. Condemnation. Condemnation is simply put, the devil reminding you of your past. Because what he's trying to do is make you inoperable. He's trying to shut you down. And he shuts you down today by reminding you of what you did yesterday. But Paul says there is no condemnation. There is no living in the past. There is no being reminded of what you did or what you came out of if you are in Christ Jesus and if you give yourself over to the Spirit and you live out according to the Spirit and not live according to the flesh any longer. See, if you're living according to the flesh, then that's no longer your past. It's become your now. But if you live according to the Spirit, living according to the flesh was what you used to do. And that has no bearing on what you're doing today or where you're going tomorrow because we're walking this thing out in the Spirit. So there is no condemnation. But here's why condemnation is so, uh, so heavy for believers is because condemnation is actually taking yourself out of the picture. When you're feeling condemned, when you're feeling like no one loves you, when you're feeling like God doesn't love you, when you're feeling like God can't forgive you, when you're feeling like uh, what you've done is so bad that you can't move on to tomorrow, the devil doesn't even have to do anything. He's got you. A lot of times believers find themselves in these situations to where they're actually working for the enemy. And what I mean is, they're doing all the work, and he's not even having to come in and attack you. Because he's got you in a position of condemnation. He's got you in a position feeling like you're good for nothing and can't do anything. And he doesn't even have to touch you. We end up doing more harm to ourselves than good in this position. Because we're actually doing the enemy's work for him. There's some that he's working hard on, trying to get them to get off the word and trying to get you. But if you get yourself into a position of condemnation, then you're in a position where you're actually doing all the work. You've actually got yourself positioned to where he's not having to come in and attack your mind a whole lot anymore. He'll plant seeds, but you'll find those seeds growing and starting to bear fruit because you're calling it all yourself. 
So we're talking about living a life according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. That in Christ Jesus doesn't stop there. It says, walk according to the Spirit. Don't walk according to the flesh. So we're not just talking about a salvation anymore. We're not just talking about a prayer. We're talking about how you live and how you operate. Condemnation will come on people that aren't living according to God's word. Because your past is so close to you. Your past is what you just did earlier today. Or your past is what you did last night. But when you walk according to the Spirit, then your past gets further and further and further away. Because we know this, that at the instance you pray and ask God to forgive you for sins, they're gone. Immediately. The problem is, is we don't see it that way. That's the problem. Is we, we still remember all that stuff we did. We still remember how we used to talk and how we used to live and the places we used to go and the things we used to do. We still remember all that stuff. So what we have to do is we have to get keyed on to how God sees us and how God wants us to live. And that's the, that's the biggest... I mean, if you can overcome that in life, if you can see yourself the way God sees you, uh, you'll, you'll win every time. Every time. Okay? So condemnation is another way... Um, that the enemy tries to pull you and tries to hinder your mindset. It's very hard to renew your mind to God's word if you're always thinking about what you did. Condemnation is a state of feeling guilty. Look at this. It's a state of feeling guilty even when you're not. You might not be guilty. You might be the right standing of God in Christ Jesus, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and you'll find yourself still living in condemnation, still living a life of guilt. Why? Because he's got the condemnation running in your mind. And you're not going to be living according to the Spirit. You're not going to be renewing your mind to the Word when you have this guiltiness about you. This is the first thing that's set in uh, with Adam and Eve. Why did they hide themselves? Why did they try to, I mean, God came down, he said, Adam, what have you done? And they hid themselves. Why are you hiding yourselves? Because we're naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Sense of guilt, condemnation, and went downhill from there. So we have to identify that if we are righteous, then we need to think righteous. And we're not letting this... Uh, these thoughts of guilt and thoughts of condemnation actually make us unrighteous. We need to walk out uh, God's will for our lives and we have to get rid of condemnation. How do you get rid of it? You have to study and know who you are in Christ. Period. Now the key to all three of these, to getting rid of all of them, is again, occupying your mind with something else. Let's look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We wind it down here. Because the key to getting rid of worry, the key to getting rid of doubt, the key to getting rid of condemnation is not to just to sit in your house and say, I'm not going to doubt the word. I'm not going to doubt the word. If I tell you right now, do not think about pink elephants with white polka dots. Don't think about it. Do not think about pink elephants. Don't do it, Jimmy. I, I know I know what you're trying to think. Don't think about pink elephants with white. How many of you are thinking about pink elephants with white polka dots? Yeah, that's all that's running in your mind. Why? Because you can't just sit there and say, I'm not going to think about my bills. I'm not going to think about my bills. I'm not going to think about not being able to pay my bills. I'm not going to think about how sick I am. I'm not going to think about losing my job. Because what do you end up putting your mind on? All those things. So we have to occupy our mind with something else. Second Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not, are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against what? 
the knowledge of God. Not God, but the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That's awesome. This is how we move out of these hindrances. There's a pulling down, casting down, uh, taking into captivity, coming into the obedience of. All these things are what we're supposed to do with things that attack our minds. He starts the whole thing off by saying, we're not talking about a battle with hands. We're not talking about a battle with what you see. We're talking about the battle where? In our minds. So if the thought comes in your mind and raises, it, raises itself contrary to what God's word said, cast it down. Uh, if there's a, a thought or a mentality that tries to rise up and it doesn't line up with God's word, Pull it down. And he says right here, bring it into captivity. To what? The obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish it. Punish that disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So how do we get rid of the thoughts? We have to cast them down, pull them down. If it exalts itself higher than the word, if it brings itself Uh, contrary to what the Bible says, pull it down, cast it down, and bring it into subjection to what? God's Word. So if you're having uh, hindering thoughts about your finances, then bring those thoughts into line or into subjection to what the Word says about your finances. If it's healing or health in your body, Bring those thoughts down to subjection to what God's Word says about your health. We have to narrow it down to what is the area that the enemy is trying to attack us in, then pull it down and bring it into subjection. Then, when your obedience is fulfilled, when your obedience is fulfilled, then you won't, You won't have those thoughts. You won't have uh, thoughts rising up trying to pull you off or deter you from what God's will is. It's very simple. That's how we pursue this. Let's look at one more verse. Philippians chapter 4. Go back there one more time. We, We saw it before and I'll just mention it. But what, who has the ability to set their mind? To set your mind? We do. The devil can't do it for you. The enemy can't do it for you. Or uh, God can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. I can't say, hey, Nikki, this is what you need to think about. Now, let's set our minds. Let's do it right now. I can't do it. It's up to you. You subject your minds. You set your mind. You bring your mindset into alignment and subjection To the word of God. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Okay so we just read be anxious for nothing. We just read by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known. We just read by by doing this uh, you will find peace guarding your mind and actually keeping thoughts from coming in. Now here's what he says in verse 8. Finally brethren, whatever things are true... Noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, lovely, good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The key to getting rid of hindrances to your thought life is to set your mind on something else. If you want to get rid of thoughts that are contrary to God's word, Line your thinking up to God's word. We cannot sit around and just hope the thoughts will go away. We cannot sit around 
and try to get rid of thoughts or get rid of mindsets or get rid of mentalities without replacing it with something. If we have a wrong mentality on finances, then we need to replace it with the, the right way to handle money. If we have a wrong mentality on our health and, our, and, and how to be healthy and how to live our lives, our, our, our bodies properly, then we need to gain some knowledge on what the Bible says about our health and how to live our lives and how to take care of our bodies and how to bring our bodies into subjection and, and, and have authority over our flesh. If we're having a mindset problem with an addiction, then we need to learn what the Word says about our authority over that addiction. We're not going to get rid of an addiction just by saying, and I've seen so many people do it. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give myself to that anymore. It's ridiculous. Replace it with something else. And if your, we've already stated that your mind is territory. Your mind is land. And it has to be occupied. And if it's not occupied with the word, then it will be occupied with what is against the word. Very clear. And the way that we keep it from being occupied with things against the word is by lessening the voices. Getting rid of the voices. Because those voices only bring confusion. Okay? We see this picture. And who has control over your mind? Who has control over setting it? We do. We do. You control what your eye gate sees. You control what your ear gate hears. You control what's coming out of your mouth. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If we're going to see our lives line up in the situations, our marriages and our homes and our finances and our health and all these different things in our life, if we're going to see them line up to the word of God, then we have to get thinking a certain way. And there are hindrances. There are things that try to come against the word. But just as we saw with Adam and Eve and just as we saw with Jesus, if you can stay on the word, then you'll live out the word. But if you come off of the word and give yourself to those voices and give yourself to those things that come contrary to the word, you'll find yourself living those things out and not living the kingdom because you're not thinking the kingdom. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for this word tonight. We are so